Hello and welcome to this new series brought to you by Global Custodian in partnership with Swift. I'm John Watkins, Managing Editor of Global Custodian, and I'm pleased to be joined by Swift's Chief Strategy Officer, David Watson. David has been in the role for just over a year as part of two years with Swift, and prior to that, he spent around 17 years with Deutsche Bank. So, David, welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Good to be talking with you. And we're talking just after Cybos, which is also the basis for, for most of our conversation today. How was the event from your perspective, You know, digital event number two? How do you think it went, and, and what's the feedback been like? The session's been really good, actually. I mean, it's a great shame that we couldn't all reconvene in person, but I think the the appropriate stance we took for for a global conference with you know several thousand people around the world looking to engage was to maintain a digital position this year. And the benefits of that, looking at the sort of the positives that come from that, is you can obviously engage a wider group of people. So we did pivot our sessions to enable much more virtual engagement from a broader aspect of the community, which didn't compensate for the uh, physical reconnection that we get with traditional cybosses, but definitely meant we got to have some real high impact sessions with very broad range of people from across the industry. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I thought the accessibility of it was was such a benefit to people that might not necessarily traditionally get to go to, to an in-person cybos um, course, a lot of complexities to, to, with travel. But uh, yeah, fingers crossed for return to in-person at, at Amsterdam next year. Absolutely. But yeah, I was very impressed with the, the kind of breadth of, of speakers and topics. But why don't we why don't we get into the some of the key discussions around the event? Um, I, you know, it, from my perspective, would you say it's fair to say that there was a bit of an increased focus on securities this year? I think there's always a very strong security stream at Cybos, but I think what we see is perhaps uh, some very interesting topics that are becoming quite front and center in the securities industry that really passing into a mainstream focus for us whether they be the shift to real time and T plus one, T plus zero, whether it be the broadening impacts of efficiency and and drive for um, better processes across the industry. These have definitely led to to much higher profile conversations and engagement across the security stream at Cybos. I agree. And obviously, I took a lot of interest in it myself, as as well as some of the, uh, the keynote speakers and views from the top that had Securities professionals in it, but let's dig into some of those sessions, Shri. And I'll start with one titled "Assets of the Future" because this was very cool and exciting. You know, not necessarily words often linked with the securities, but I think it's amazing to see how this conversation's moved on in recent years. In fact, we do have a quick clip from that session to play now. What's really exciting about this is this is a global movement. This might be the first time in history where we've had the opportunity to think about things in a global context and the creation of new assets, new technologies to drive those assets forwards, um, new strategies to use those assets, um, but also ways to take traditional assets and reimagine them so that they become safer, they become more valuable, and they really become a more um, uh, entrenched part of the overall global marketplace, not just in the United States, but everywhere. So when you think about things like cryptocurrencies and, and, and NFTs and what's happening there in that space, that's really about economy building. Yeah, for me, 12 months ago, take something like an NFT, I'd never heard of an NFT, but not only am I reading about this concept everywhere, it's also mentioned in a, a cyber securities panel. So uh, quite amazing uh, the, the progress we're seeing. But yeah, we seem to have moved from theory to, to acceptance of digital assets being a part of the securities world of the future. Would, would you say that's the case? And what do you think the benefits are of, of this shift? I definitely think it's the case. 
I think what we've seen in terms of the tokenization or, or digitalization of assets and what that can mean for the securities and not mean for the securities industry has indeed been a, a very vocal topic for, for quite a few years now. What we've started to see is a real crescendo of real world experiments, you know, exploration moving into experimentation and even things starting to go live and be actively used across the industry, even if it's just very much in its infancy. And I think what we see is a real understanding now of not just what problems can be solved by some of these assets of the future, but also, you know, what can't be solved by them and where actually some of the real world concerns still apply in that landscape, or even more importantly, how will we see interoperability between those assets of the future and the assets of today and what that means for financial services. So a very excellent session I, that I enjoyed very much. And brought to the forefront some of those key questions, some of those that many people have opinions and answers for today, but also areas that as an industry, we're really going to have to put some strong time and effort into to really drive forward to garner the benefits that can come from some of these future state assets and what tokenization really means for the existing world as well as the future world. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. I'm not saying assessment isn't interesting, but I certainly <laughs> thought digital assets was a was a standout. But uh, yeah, everyone seems to be at just such a different stage of, of their plans um, when it comes to digital assets, though. Uh, where 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 do you think if you could have a, have a guess, we might be in in five years in terms of where various players will be at, or in, even in terms of the conversation? If only I had that crystal ball um, to say exactly what would happen. But also, I think a very important question of when things will happen. I think what we see often um, is a real desire to sort of see a crescendo in the launch of new assets and, and new things, when in reality, the world flows uh, through, through very different mechanisms today. And what I think we'll see in five years' time is, is an increase in the number of real-world tokenized assets coming into play. I think what we'll also see, though, is, is a bigger push and engagement around the interoperability of those things and the rest of the world and the rest of the landscape. And I think cracking those nuts uh, will be key. So those future state assets that are not just embracing the future in terms of technology, opportunity, speed, uh, various different benefits from them, but really how they can maintain and drive that interoperability, they'll be the ones that actually get the fastest acceleration. Because the idea of a lot of these things existing in a closed loop but needing to engage with the open network of the world will be the real crux of the success of some of the individual assets or networks themselves. No, it's fascinating to see how it's all going to mix with some of the legacy systems uh, mm. in the future. Cybos is, is always a, a platform where a lot of the security services providers talk about collaboration. And then, you know, in my view, we don't see an awful lot of it in, in the custody space. But do you think this is, this is an area where it could be ripe for collaboration? Or do you think that secret source approach always want, wants to stay with the, uh, with the provider? That's a very good question. Um, and a question that I think it's difficult to have a single answer for because every, I think, situation and every person has a, has a different view. Every institution probably has a different view. I think there are areas for competition and there are areas for collaboration. I think when it comes to who launches the, you know, the best, most interesting you know, tokenized asset, who can use that, who can engage with that, what can it be used for, I think is one of the reasons that we have so many questions is why we will have likely so many answers and so many different capabilities being experimented, launched and going live in the market in the years ahead. 
I think though the the real space for collaboration is going to come down to not just the interoperability I referred to before, but the efficiency and effectiveness of those solutions. Because while they may bring certain benefits, what we don't want to also do is run the risk of introducing new pain or friction points to the industry by mistake or or as an after effect or thought when we're trying to garner scale and take something from its you know infancy into bigger impact. So where we really see uh, our role is not just in helping facilitate our own members and where they want to take the world in the future and in terms of assets of the future, but really how we can help ensure that that efficiency and effectiveness that we're bringing forward today continues to be brought forward in a future landscape as well. No, it's great. And it seems a a perfect area for for Swift to be involved and play a part. And from my point of view, the the custodians and CSDs and market infrastructures, they're all just trying to figure out their, their role in the future and how they can be a part of it. You know, ultimately it's a, it's a bit of a tricky time for some of their their business models, um, and like I say, I think they're they're trying to work out their their place in the future, and whether that's collaboration with each other, whether it's collaboration with with, with fintechs um, to to get to that point. Uh, I think it's it's going to be an interesting few years to come. It is, and I think there's room for everybody at the table. And I think the other thing is when you talk about whether it's you know CSDs, market infrastructures, whether it's banks, non-bank financial institutions, you know fintechs. Uh, all members of our network, none of them are shy in telling us where they think we should or should not play a role. They don't necessarily all agree at all times, but it's always a very good and active partnership conversation we have with the securities firms that use and drive our network directly and indirectly, which helps us as a cooperative build out a forward that actually is is more industry-centric than individual solution or individual institution-centric when it comes to those areas of both opportunity as well as threat. No, they're very open about it. You know, I, I moderated a uh, conversation with uh, Lever Mostry from Euroclear, and you know, they're, they're they're not shy about talking about the, the kind of potential, but also you know the the threat to, to uh, infrastructures like theirs. In fact, here is a clip from the conversation with Lever from this year's Cybos. And I would say during the COVID-19 crisis, we have already seen a number of opportunities where we could, together with the ecosystem, accelerate a number of antiquated uh, processes and, and put very new things in place. We could be amongst early adopters, but also, I would say, the linking pin and, and, and being pot- potentially the ones that help solving the chicken and the egg problem. Good. I'm glad everyone's part of the conversation and it's not something that, that we can't talk about. So it's it's an amazing space and uh, one to keep watching. Everyone seems to have a, have a view on it and, uh, and a roadmap. So uh, let's let's but let's talk about settlement, shall we? Because there was a couple of panels. Uh, I would say two two fantastic sessions on, on this. One on settlement fails and one which was entitled on the road to T plus zero. Uh, well, that was moderated by myself. So I guess I would say it was a great panel, but uh, there, there was strong consensus on that discussion that there are a lot of benefits to shortening the settlement cycle, you know, to an extent. What, what do you think needs to fall into place for that eventual move to T plus zero? And and, and when I say that, I mean same day settlement as opposed to, to real time growth settlement. But would, would you say that the T plus zero is ultimately the goal for an industry, uh, for the industry to move towards? I think it is, yes. I think there's two tracks to how you shorten settlement cycles. There's sort of track number one, which is where you take existing processes and mechanisms and look at how you can make them faster, more efficient, and more effective. There's track number two where you say, oh, well, why don't we throw those out the window, tear them up, and start again completely from scratch. 
And I think what we see is actually that the, those two things are beginning to sort of have a, a medium term convergence conversation. So where we can actually take the improvements that we see in the landscape to move to T plus one with a roadmap to T plus zero on the existing processes and infrastructure or with nuanced enhancements and tweaks to those things combined with actually turning around and saying, okay, where's there been exploration and experimentation into to a, a T plus zero environment without any of that legacy landscape. And that actually leads to some really good dialogue around prioritization of where some of those things could go. I think for us at Swift, what's very, very interesting in that dialogue is where you look at things within a single country or jurisdiction or infrastructure versus when you look multi-jurisdiction and multi-infrastructure. So where are we talking about that move to instantaneous or real time within a single settlement house? Or where are we talking about it between settlement houses? And I think that's where it also gets very, very interesting because there your inference is the difference between a bilateral fix to to have things happen instantaneously versus a market shift or a multilateral market shift. And I think that's also going to have an impact on how and where we see timings happen and how we see this road happen that will get us there. And also where, I hate to say what I said already, but where we really see that solving things in a closed loop is a lot easier than solving things in the open world. So it's much easier to design a from scratch T plus zero landscape for a closed loop membership group um, where everyone engages and signs up to, to that versus how do we do that across the entire industry. And I think the journey around how those things are going to coexist and, and, and come together is, is the, the phase that's starting now and will, will take us some time to solve and may have very different answers for different mechanisms as well. Oh, it's interesting that the DTCC are obviously embarking on this, this shift to T plus one, while at the same time they're having this project ion, you know, testing or experimental pilot going on in the background where they're where they're testing, um, you know, the use of blockchain to, to move to T plus zero. Mm. So, as I noted on the panel, it's going to be a busy busy couple of years for, for those guys uh, rolling out both those at the same time. But obviously, you know, they, they will work on them simultaneously. Yeah, and there's a lot that both those streams will learn from each other, and we'll all learn from similar things across the industry as well and i think those learnings will be what dictate how we decide to pivot and move how we see which solutions can help with which of the opportunities and threats but also drive a little bit that prioritization and timing whenever we're talking about settlement or t plus one t plus zero i i think I always go to the u.s equities market and forget that there's a whole <laughs> world out there and you know there's developments going on in india right now where you know, even though the US said, hey, we're going to take 18 months to make this shift, India said, right, this is going to be in place January 2022, you know, a few months notice. Um, it's, it's optional for the stock exchanges there to implement it or not. And they only need to give them months notice. So the differences in timing just show the, 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 the kind of disparity, the differences between each market. And, you know, one of the panelists on, on, on the discussion was from BBVA. So talking about Europe and we forget that, you know, Europe is going to consider this at some point as well in the future. So, mm. You know, these conversations are going to keep going for the next decade and these various markets are going to be different places. But yeah, it's interesting that ultimately, you know, people are eyeing T plus zero through the use of, of new technologies. But, you know, one of the big things that's happened this year is, of course, the whole Robin Hood, GameStop, mean stocks saga. Um, and, you know, hitting back at calls for real-time growth settlement from the retail market, the likes of DTCC have, you know, highlighted the benefits of, of end-of-day netting, which maybe not everyone kind of understand um not not to be uh, not to patronize anyone there but just what what do you think about those calls for real-time growth settlement that, that have been coming out i think there's a time and a place for everything um that doesn't necessarily mean that it should be forced on everything 
Um, I think we need, do need to take a long, hard look at what triggers cause those scenarios and, and decide where we want to put mitigants in place. And is that front-end mitigants in terms of how we engage with the business we allow people to do? Or is it you know, what I'll call a back-end mitigant in terms of how the settlement uh, nature of settlement actually happens in real time? And I think, honestly, my personal view is that, that it's a little bit too simplistic to say that the RTGS is the answer. Um, I think RTGS and how it's used can be part of the conversation, but it certainly, in its own right, I don't think would have mitigated completely the situation that happened in GameStop or with Robinhood, should I say. What really, I think, it's a combination of different things that would all need to be looked at, not just the, the risk profile, the client engagement, the client behaviors, what you allow clients to do with the level of their expertise and skill, how you allow market movements, as well as then, how, the, how we actually look at security shifts, settlement, uh, and, and the overall role that RTGS could play there. It's great to talk about it. I find it super interesting. So um, just just finally on, on T plus zero, but before we move on to talk about settlement fails, I don't want everyone to think I just want to talk about my panel, but um, <laughs> what kind of role do you see technology playing in the future of, of this shift? Yeah, it's, it's, it's all technology, right? I think um, the question for me is where is it, future state technology and where is it future state architectural principles almost you know we've had many a debate around where we can use distributed ledger and various other technologies and there's been a lot of debate around where is it a solution looking for a problem while at the same time we see a lot of problems that we think it could be a solution for there's been a bit of a merry-go-round and a dance around that for some time I think what we're really going to also look at is not just how we use distributed ledger and, and the so-called blockchain aspects of that but how do we also understand, okay, the principles of a distributed ledger architecturally and how the benefits of that can be delivered from just looking at technology in a slightly different way? And I think there's also then how you look at how we use all the variety of, of more mainstream things or things like blockchain or APIs that have become buzzwords in the last few years, but actually have existed for quite some time and how we're actually using them together and, and with different other mechanisms to really drive that future so to me i think it's it's a technology forward conversation i think technology is the answer this business is used to be called financial services really it's a technology business almost now and i think that realization and understanding has come to fruition for everyone and really the, the swift was created in the 1970s to, to bring technology to a global you know securities and payments landscape uh, at what the time was quite revolutionary, what today is is not necessarily seen that way. But I think it's a good mechanism to say, actually, technology has been for, for 50 years at the center of how we do this around the world. It will continue to be so in the future. The question is, which of those technologies and how they, will they be used and how will they drive towards those end goals of solving those problems and grabbing those opportunities? Well, let's, let's talk fails because that was another big part of the, the securities themes. Uh, this is a big discussion point with new regulations incoming and I'm not even going to highlight the, the current state of the regulations because I feel like it could change uh, the day after we, we publish this. But uh, a lot of back and forth going on at the moment with, with ESMA and, uh, and the European Commission and, and the market in terms of the buying regime. But you know, assessment fails have have always been there. Why why is it so under the microscope at the moment? I think there's a there's a few answers to that. I think that the regulatory scrutiny has definitely been a part of it, but but you've really got to understand, step back and say why does it have that level of regulatory scrutiny as well? Well, let's get to the root cause. And I think here it comes down to me to to 
unmet and unhappy customer need. It comes down to the ridiculous level of cost that's associated with, with it. I mean, our industry spends billions a year <laughs> on settlement fails. And I think if, if, you've got, if you've got unmet customer needs and a huge cost base associated with that, never mind the risk angle, I think those three things together is what's really, really brought the crescendo in this conversation. If we as an industry are spending billions on, you know, it's in the word, fixing failures that yeah. could have been avoided in different ways. On top of that, your customers are really unhappy when it happens and it's happening way more than we might like. And then the last part is that it leaves you exposed to, you know, that risk exposure that comes with that is not something you particularly want to to embrace and enjoy and you have to plan for from a balance sheet and a risk management perspective. Well, you really take a, have to take a long, hard look at how you're doing it. You know, it's very costly. Your customers are unhappy and it exposes you to risk. If you were to step back and just, you know, over simply look at those three words, you kind of ask yourself, well, why am I doing this? Well, there's a lot of good reasons why we do why we do this business. Um, but there's all the more reason why we need to really think about how we help not just decrease those sediment fails, but really urgently as an industry prioritize further how we drive that. Yeah, uh, like you say, a bit of a no-brainer, really, and, it, and it's obviously happening. Things are moving forward. And I, I've seen some some really good use cases actually. A, a lot of firms, um, you know, Euroclear, Deutsche Bank, um, Clearstream, have put out some of these predictive, you know, technologies uh, to to show to give people a bit of insight and data and transparency into to where set, uh, trades might fail. Um, have you seen some of these good use cases of, of new technologies and things like predictive AI to, to tackle this? And I know Swift were kind of. Um, iron up this is a space they could possibly uh, take part in and help solve as well i think ai and robotics have been have been sort of experimented with and, and launched and implemented in certain spaces but i think they have a huge scope for much more impact on what we do i think if you really step back and look at what artificial intelligence and robotics are it's in essence almost the perfect solution for where we look at large parts of our settlement fails, not just in terms of how we fix them, but how we actually use that to avoid them ever happening in the first place. And they're two very closely related, but slightly different streams as well. Um, and I think actually when we when we think about how that technology with the powers of you know supercomputers and various things behind it can, can take the data that we have as an industry and really help us understand, well, actually these things can be completely and utterly removed from the process and actually resolved, not just, you know, the old idea of you used to, you know, something happens three times, you set up a rule and, and that's AI because now the rule automatically corrects something. That's kind of basic SDP work. The level we're at now with AI and the robotics actually can replace completely how we see many of those settlement fail drivers and actually stop them happening in the future. And I think that's something I see as a very, very strong area for the industry, for institutions, but also for us here at Swift. Yes, through our innovation team, we are indeed looking at how we can, you know, for the community, bring solutions and scenarios to help in that space as well. Yeah, I, I made a mental note during that panel because someone said that they kind of warned against the well, warned about the risk of actually getting to zero percent assessment fails. And here is a quick clip from that session. Is there a, a risk here that if we start pushing towards um, zero rates of settlement failure, and we've seen this, I suppose, with the CSDR settlement discipline regime in, in, in Europe, trying to extend into those asset classes where there is a kind of natural rate of, of settlement failure, is there a risk that we might actually make this problem worse, not just in, in Eurobonds and ETFs and small caps, but actually possibly in FX as well, particularly those minor uh, currency pairs? Do you think that is a risk, Steve? 
From my perspective, yes. I, I actually do think that we find a natural um, fail rate of, say, some, somewhere between 5% and lower, actually a sign of a, a well-efficient and functioning marketplace. Um, so I actually think the race, if I could call it a race to zero in regards to um, zero um, settlement fails, may not, in fact, actually be in the best interest of the industry. I kind of wanted to ask someone why that is. So now I'm talking to you, David, <laughs> your best place. Um, I'm happy to share some more information if I can dig out the quote. But yeah, why, why, why would someone say that? What, what's, the, what's the issue with zero percent fails? So I, there's maybe fun that I listened to the panel at that part. And I must admit, I raised my eyebrows because I don't necessarily share the concern in the same way. That's the wonderful thing about our industry and, and Cyboss and panels like it. You get multiple different perspectives. I can, you know, I can understand a viewpoint that having zero settlement fails means that everything happens so smoothly. How are you actually going to see and understand where those risk points are? Or are we hiding inefficiencies into the process by introducing ways to get around it? But actually, my philosophy is that if we can get this right and we can actually get it right at source rather than at the end uh, and introduce not just a more efficient process, but a more effective at the end, but a more effective process at the start, I'm much less concerned about a, a potential zero landscape for settlement fails. The important part is that if we were to move and if we were to get to that landscape of zero settlement fails is what risk and controls you have around it. And that's really where actually you also need to look at some of our processes and for some institutions, some of their products and services they offer today, because there are actually a multitude of products and services that have been built around the failure process and around the inefficiencies of how it works today. Those things would either become redundant or would have to change completely. And some of them have grown up and evolved in such a way over time that they are mitigating and managing other risks and controls, not just resolving the fail itself. So there's a lot of things to think about and consider. Um, it's not just about cutting out the cost or, or making things happen instantaneously for an end customer. It's how you balance that with risk and control, I think, is the, is the, the concern we all need to have in mind if we were to go on that journey. I'm very glad you'd picked up on that comment as well. So I wasn't just uh, throwing it out there. <laughs> but uh, so look, we've been through you know, digital assets, settlement, Another big topic of the event and the world, I guess, is ESG and sustainability. Um, of course, it wasn't discussed in the other panels, but two of the views from the top, from the market infrastructure providers touched on this. I'm interested, David, to get your opinion on what role do you think market infrastructures can have on climate change and sustainability? It's something that really we need to, to step back a little bit as an industry and not just look at where we've done some good things in terms of how we tick some boxes or, or make some gestures, but really have an understanding of what's the impact market infrastructures are making on the world today. Where let's actually assess combined as an industry, the footprint that we're having in terms of impact on climate and landscape there. And really actually not look at it in isolation by infrastructure by infrastructure, but really say, okay, before we move into any of these wonderful new things we've just spoken about, where we have, distributed ledger technologies, or we have, you know, T plus zero settlement, or we have, you know, zero settlement fails, or we have all these great things that we're starting to discuss. What impact is that going to have on our footprint today? And it can't be a worse one, but it also can't be a status quo. It has to be combined with a view on how we're going to improve that. And that's where I think as an industry, we need help from outside of our own industry as well. So market infrastructures, you know, banks, Swift ourselves, we all need to understand learnings and lessons from the broader world 
on what role we can and should play there. But it all starts very much with market infrastructures having a look at ourselves and saying as a collective, what impact are we having on the world's footprint today? I thought it was covered really well throughout the, the whole conference. Obviously, a lot of different speakers touching on it, but a lot of unique viewpoints and obviously the importance can't be understated. Um, and, and I thought Mark, mm. Carney's, Mark Carney's interview at the end was a brilliant finale as well. It, yeah, it was, was excellent. I was in awe of the Bloomberg uh, presenter question and she was very fiery in her uh, questions. Uh, <laughs> please, I'm not taking the same approach with our conversation today. But, <laughs> you know, it, it, was, it, it was fair, but it was, it, was, it was kind of alarming and informative at the same time. And, um, you know, a lot of takeaways throughout, throughout the whole session. Provocative, right? And that's what you want in those kind of conversations, because if it's not going to be a provocative debate, then we're not going to wake up and change. Yeah. No, absolutely right. So, so, so let's finish off then talking about Swift security strategy because it is always something interesting uh, for us to keep an eye on, and, and often comes out in, in Cybos. And regarding that strategy, what's 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 new right now for you, and, and what are the, some of the long term plans? Sure. I mean, first of all, our, I mean our strategy is is smarter, faster, better, right? Which which are very simple words. What's behind that? I think the move is. A, as an industry to an instant and frictionless landscape and what we as a cooperative provide to the industry to help get to an instant and friction-free landscape is really what we're looking to drive. We're looking to do that through not just helping with the speed of things, but really helping with the transparency around where speed is and what's happening today around the, the speed of transactions and the efficiency with them. Because if you can create that transparency, it's a little bit like the climate conversation we're having. If you create transparency on where we are today and where the inconvenient truths of things are actually you know, going well today versus those areas where things could do a lot better and putting data behind that, we can really help move forward as an industry. So for us, it's about how we move from messages to transactions and particularly transaction data and how this applies across all of our business lines, payments, trade finance, foreign exchange, securities, and others. But if I was to talk specifically about the security side of the industry, it's always useful to remind ourselves that securities is, you know, 6,000 of our, you know, Swift user base. You know, there are all the major SMIs, the big banks, you know, not all may use it for domestic settlement, but, but we're very active with every player. You know, nearly 60% of our traffic is securities based, plus a very large percentage of our payments business is securities related, related payments business. So securities is front and center for us and what we want to do in terms of our strategy. But we also see as our role to balance between the longer term changes and the short term imperatives. When we talk about the biggest short term challenges, you know, the extra bite of settlement discipline regimes, the client expectation of transparency and speed, then the role for SWIFT as a collective to help drive central sort of post trade tracking functionality to help us give the data that will help drive the medium and long term benefits. Then I think there's some adjacent possible developments we really want to drive into as part of our strategy, the extension to other securities post-trade processes, the extension to the cash leg and, and leverage what we're doing on the payment side of our strategy around shifting from messages to transaction data management, as I implied before, uh, for the cash leg of our securities business, the extension of our financial crime and compliance services where appropriate. And I think that's something that's key when we talk about the frictionless part of our strategy that frictionless is really meant to drive two things one cost and inefficiency out of the industry but two also the impediments to that instant landscape 
And also, I think when we talk about how we want to drive the, the tracker and the real information on where and what was happening with securities transactions and securities transaction data, really deciding as an industry on the priorities around that with our partners and through our, our governance structure that, that it represents the industry very well. But then looking forward, if I was to say in the more longer term versus those short term and medium term aspects is what we started this conversation with. Asset tokenization, that's a real trend. We're working with clients to assess the impact on SWIFT, on the client business. You know, we distinguish a little bit between DLT as technology versus tokenization of existing assets versus, you know, new assets created on Ledger. And we're receptive to the view that there's definite fundamental difference between cryptocurrencies and stablecoins. However, I think for us, our strategy is almost what it was in the 1970s. It's about interoperability. It's about standardization of how we engage around the world, providing that interoperability and accessibility to do business in this new future state, instant and frictionless landscape, and really understand how we can help the market infrastructures, banks, non-bank FIs, and clients around the world benefit from this instant and frictionless landscape in a different way than how we do today. And that's really how we see our, our role and our focus and are very excited by how we drive that forward. Sounds sounds very exciting and, uh, and comprehensive. But David, I, I'm sure we could chat Cybos and Securities all day, but this is a series, so we'll, we'll hold a few topics over till, uh, till the <laughs> next episode. But uh, yeah, look, well done on, on the event. Well done on providing a, a very engaging and informative uh, digital Cybos. Um, but for, for now, I'd just like to thank you for all your thoughts and input today. It was uh, great to chat to you. Thank you. You know, I very much enjoyed the conversation. So much for us to talk about in this space, as you say. And and I look forward to uh, engaging with and listening to the future podcasts as well. And to you, our audience, do make sure you catch up on any sessions you might have missed from this year's virtual Cybos before they disappear on the 31st of December. And do remember to tune in to our next episode where we will be covering CSDR and the UTI as an identifier. But that's goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.